Hey, and welcome back to Grace Talks, a Christian's women's podcast that studies the Bible, the women in it, and applies it to our lives today. I hope you've been enjoying the current series on Esther. For this episode, we are going to be starting the fifth chapter. We all know by now of my love for this book of the Bible, and I hope you're growing to love it as well. Another shout out to Beth Moore for her Bible study of Esther when it helped me study it the first time. A quick recap from where we left off is obviously in order. Haman has an evil plan to wipe every single Jew off the map because of his hatred towards Mordecai. The people are bewildered, the Jews are in mourning, and the king is oblivious. Mordecai tells Esther she needs to do something about it, and when Esther shows fear, Mordecai reminds her that she might have been made queen for exactly this moment in history. So Esther shapes up, gets brave, and goes to God with three days of fasting, no food, no water for three days, and requests that her attendees, Mordecai, and whoever else he can convince to join. This was a way to cut out all other distractions and focus solely on prayer and planning how to approach the king and what she would say, because this wasn't some sort of business negotiation, and she wasn't even just planning how to maneuver the kingdom or even how to save her people. She was putting her own life at risk. There was a lot of variables going on, a lot of thoughts in her head, and that's scary enough. But the thing is, she's probably thinking like, who's going to save my people if I fail, if I die? Because anyone who approaches the king without being summoned either lived because he allowed them to by extending his scepter to them, or they died immediately for the disrespect. She was about to risk everything to save the Jews. So go ahead and open up your Bibles and see for yourself if she lives, dies, and if she can save her people. We're going to start with Esther chapter 5 verses 1 through 2. On the third day, Esther put on her royal robes and stood in the inner court of the palace in front of the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne in the hall facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing in the court, he was pleased with her and held out to her the gold scepter that was in his hand. So Esther approached and touched the tip of the scepter. So just picture that for a moment. Esther hasn't eaten or drank water in three days. She gets dressed in her very best. She takes a deep breath and walks closer and closer to her fate. As she walks closer and closer to his throne room, she has to keep her head high and approach the king that banished his first queen for not approaching him and very well could have killed her for coming to him unsummoned. What an ironic end that would have been, except it's not the end. Esther approaches the king and he extends her salvation. He extends that gold scepter to allow her to approach. Deep breath. (laughs) She survived step one. We're constantly faced in our lives with questions of what ifs. It's where all of our anxieties stem from. The potential of what we see as danger. Look, no one wants to suffer. No one wants to actually face loss, uncertainty, and failure. But none of us can avoid suffering altogether. Life just doesn't work that way down here. And you know, it can be tempting to try really hard to control everything. But we can't control everything. We can't stop everything. But we try. And in the process, we place this conditional trust in God. We trust him in our lives, but only so far as he is providing us with exactly what we want 
and assume that we need. But Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. It isn't just about trusting him to accomplish what you want or trusting him kind of, but still trying to do everything on your own. Unconditional trust in God is wholehearted, even in the scary times, even in the times of risk and doubt. But what makes unconditional trust in God so stunning is that when you realize that faith in God really casts out fear and fearlessness drives out hesitation. And do you want to know what you're left with when you remove hesitation? You get confidence. And that doesn't mean that we're not going to encounter instances where our heart's going to pound loudly in our ears. We will, but we can count on God to turn beauty from ashes and to protect the part of us that will never experience death. Esther had the confidence to approach King Xerxes and he expanded his scepter forward and allowed her to speak, which means that we need to see what words spring from Esther's mouth as she acts out her plan from the past three days, as she somehow finds the words she needs to speak. So let's read Esther chapter five, verses three through eight. It says, then the king asked, what is it, Esther? What is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be given to you. If it pleases the king, replied Esther, let the king together with Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for him. Bring Haman at once, the king said, so that we may do what Esther asks. So the king and Haman went to the banquet Esther had prepared. As they were drinking wine, the king again asked Esther, now what is your petition? It will be given to you. And what is your request? Even up to half the kingdom, it will be granted. Esther replied, my petition and my request is this. If the king regards me with favor, and if it pleases the king to grant my petition and fulfill my request, let the king and Haman come tomorrow to the banquet, I will prepare for them. Then I will answer the king's question. So you might be thinking that Esther is really dragging this out, right? I mean, he already offered her up to half of his very impressive kingdom, twice. Nowadays, that sounds more like an agreement of divorce, but... Esther isn't looking for separation and compensation. She's looking for unity and for justice. And she's a woman with a strategy. First, let's look at the king's response to Esther. Such kind and gentle words from the same man who once flogged a river and banished his previous queen. Esther found the king's favor, and she's going to need it. But don't give her all of the credit. Proverbs 21.1 says, In the Lord's hand, the king's heart is a stream of water that he channels toward all who please him. God can channel the king's heart towards his queen because Esther had a purpose that she was willing to carry out. An interesting language thing to point out about this is also the question that the king asks in the beginning. He says, what is it? Comes from the Hebrew word that I'm gonna butcher because I couldn't figure out how to pronounce it is ma-lak, M-A-H, and then L-A-K. Other translations of this phrase comes from Genesis and from Psalm, and they were translated as what troubles you and what ails you. This means that the king notices Esther is troubled with something and he wants to make it better. So why does she wait? Maybe Esther procrastinates with more banquets to avoid having to come clean with her heritage. Maybe she's trying to give herself some time in between her unsummoned approach and her request. 
or with the way she is inviting only the king and Haman, maybe she's trying to casually sow the seed of jealousy from the king towards Haman. So he starts to distrust him before she even accuses him. Or maybe the wording she uses is just as important as him asking her what troubles her and not just asking, what do you want? Esther's first request in the throne room is that the king and Haman come to her banquet. Her second invitation asks him to grant her request and if he will grant her request to attend the second banquet. Clever. She basically gets him to say yes to whatever her request will be and his signature is his attendance the following day. Brilliant. To be that brilliant. But even when we're not brilliant or perfectly confident, God isn't ashamed of us, you know? His love for us has nothing to do with performance. He cares about our hearts and our intentions. He cares about what we are willing to do in spite of our insecurities and fears. His love overshadows our fears. 1 John 4.18 tells us that perfect love casts out fear, and his love is perfect. And speaking of perfection, let's take a look at imperfection. Esther 5.9-13 Haman went out that day happy and in high spirits. But when he saw Mordecai at the king's gate and observed that he neither rose nor showed fear in his presence, he was filled with rage against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and went home, calling together his friends and Zeresh, his wife. Um, interesting thing to note before we say anything else is that Mordecai is back at the king's gate, which means that he's confident in what Esther is going to do and everything else. Because before he was dressed in ash and sackcloth in those mourning clothes, which many couldn't approach the king's gate. This means he's dressed normally, clean face, back in his normal zone, no longer mourning, no longer showing fear because he knows that things are going to work out. He believes in that. Even after Haman has gotten an edict promising the death of Mordecai and all of his people, Mordecai doesn't beg. He doesn't bow. He doesn't shake in fear. He doesn't even stand up in his presence. And Haman cannot stand it. The man who should quake in his presence, he offers him no respect, no fear, not even anger, no response at all. Haman goes home and brags to everyone about all of his many accomplishments and things and his new buddy-buddy best friendship with the king. And yet he sees Mordecai and decides that he is the biggest thorn in his side. And I think what makes me laugh the most is that his biggest threat isn't Mordecai's indifference. It's Esther's flattery from inside the palace walls. So our question needs to be, what can we learn from an evil man's mistakes? The most important thing I have to remember is that a person can become a snare to any of us at any time that he or she is consuming an excessive and unhealthy amount of space in our thoughts. And that's for both positive thoughts and negative thoughts. It might seem a bit more obvious when like Haman, our thoughts are consumed with an intense dislike or even hatred of someone. When we feel threatened by someone, we can recognize that as being bad, but it's also bad when we're giving too much headspace to someone that we feel attracted to or that we crave approval from. Galatians 1.10 says, am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. 
our headspace as Christians should first be focused on God, his approval, and his desires for our life. But the story continues on with Esther 5.14. It said that his wife Zeresh and all his friends said to him, have a pole set up reaching to a height of 50 cubits and ask the king in the morning to have Mordecai impaled on it. Then go with the king to the banquet and enjoy yourself. This suggestion delighted Haman and he had the pole set up. Of course, something so gruesome would delight our dear villain. 50 cubits, by the way, is equivalent to about the height of a seven-story building or 75 feet. He loved the idea of making a spectacle out of the death of his perceived enemy. Before we finish this chapter, here's another woman that we can learn from, Zeresh. This poor lady's married to Mr. Humblebrag over here complaining, woe is me about having to deal with this one guy who's supposed to be killed in less than a year just because he doesn't bow to him. Zeresh is basically like, oh my gosh, will you just shut up? Go ask your bestie the king to kebab the man on a pole that of a seven-story building and be done with it. I get that we probably won't be the kind of women put into positions of royalty like Esther or given the chance to suggest murder as a viable suggestion for her own mental health like Zeresh, but we are offered opportunities to make differences in the lives of the people around us. As women, we have the ability to persuade others into making choices, good ones and bad ones. We could seek out immediate elimination. We could seek out immediate eliminations to our dissatisfaction and persuade someone in the wrong direction. Or, hear me out, we could be peacemakers. We could be women who are influenced by the Holy Spirit. Women who utilize that strength to bring people together and promote good and healthy decisions in others. So let's pull everything back that we learned and apply it. First, with trust and dependence on God, we cast out fear. And then we put on love and confidence. That confidence gives us the bravery to be bold, to take risks, to fulfill the purposes God made us for. So find ways to place your trust in God this week, even when it feels scary. Hand him your burdens and the things that give you anxiety. The little things, too. I graduate next week. My little fear and my little anxiety and insecurity is feeling bloated in my graduation dress. So I'm going to just trust that God cares more about the brain that earned the degree and the heart that grew closer to him these last few years than the body in a dress that I'm probably going to miss in 10 years. My big fear is what life looks like after graduation, but I'm going to trust that wherever I end up, God's going to use me. I'm going to trust that he has a plan for me exactly where I am now and exactly where I'm going to be. Second, what you spend time thinking about matters. Who you spend time thinking about matters. When you wake up in the morning, what do you immediately start thinking about or who? Yeah, I know. <laughs> the best days I have, though, are the ones where I wake up and start thinking about Jesus. And I'll challenge you to do this one with me. This week, I want to be better about thinking about Jesus first thing. So before I even get out of bed, I want to read a chapter of my Bible. Make it easy on yourself. Bring your Bible to the nightstand the night before. Before your feet even touch the ground tomorrow, see what God has to say to you. You can do the same thing with a little devotional. Instead of a night one, try a morning one. 
And then third, you have the power to persuade. You have the power to bring unity, to develop peace, to empower the people that are around you. You will encounter daily opportunities to be either an Esther or a Zeresh. Who do you want to be? And also don't forget that our king is one that we can count on to be just and we can count on to keep his word. He isn't the kind that doesn't want us approaching him unless we're summoned or summoned all the time. He always wants us approaching him and being in his presence. So one of these days we're going to have an actual throne room to go to, but we aren't going to have to worry about the gold scepter coming towards us. All we have to worry about is if we knew Jesus, because if we know Jesus, he'll greet us with open arms, not a scepter. Well, that's everything I have for today. I know it's a little on the shorter side, but there's still a few chapters left of Esther. So there's more where it came from. Don't forget to review this podcast wherever you listen to it on. Like and subscribe if you're watching it on YouTube and check out any of the social media platforms. Don't forget that the more you interact, the more the message gets spread. So (laughs) uh, yeah, I hope you join next time as we keep on talking about this story about Esther. As usual, if you have any questions about today's episode, the Bible, or anything else, I would be more than happy to answer it as best as I can. If you haven't heard it today, God loves you. I love you. You are important. You have worth and you have a purpose. So I'm signing off. Bye.